Money FM 89.3. Best of breakfast. The bigger picture, only on Money FM 89.3. Good morning. This is the bigger picture with me, Ahmad Akhtar. Now, stocks staged a comeback yesterday after investors shook off pressures driven by the deadly Israel-Hamas conflict. The Dow Jones was higher by 0.6% to close at over 33,600 points. The S&P gained 0.6% as well, ending at 4,336 points, while the Nasdaq added 0.4%, landing at over 13,480 points. The rising geopolitical tensions caused by the Israel-Palestine conflict could have ramifications for the energy market, with some experts forecasting a brief surge in crude prices, but overall limited impact. There are also plenty of questions surrounding the geopolitical consequences of the conflict, which erupted 50 years after the Yom Kippur War that foreshadowed the 1970s oil crisis. Joining us to dissect this further is Manpreet Gill, who's the Chief Investment Officer for Asia, Middle East and Europe at Standard Chartered. A very good morning to you, Manpreet. I believe you're in Dubai. It's rather early for you. Hi, good morning. Yes, uh, always (laughs) good to make an early start to the day. Absolutely, absolutely. Manpreet, let's kick things off with the oil prices. They rose yesterday in reaction to these escalating tensions in the Middle East, uh, currently down slightly as I speak. But the region accounts for nearly a third of global supply. What are the potential spillover effects of this crisis into other countries? We've seen a risk premium being factored in by some banks as well. How do you see this playing out? When you think about geopolitical conflict in the Middle East, I mean, oil is the first place most investors would look. But to us, what's really key is the geographical spread uh, Mm. of any conflict. Now, conflict is unfortunately does come with a human cost. But when you take a more narrow view uh, of oil markets alone, uh, the key question is whether the conflict has any limitation on actual supply. And, you know, any conflict that's mainly limited to Israel and its borders historically has not had a lasting impact on oil prices because, you know, it doesn't really disrupt energy supply. So if there is a silver lining, I think that that would really be our view uh, on energy prices. Of course, the key assumption is that it doesn't, you know, spread to become a much wider conflict because it's, it's, you know, supply channels. That's really the channel that we keep an eye on. But, you know, we think at the moment, at least, you know, there's reasonable grounds to believe that, you know, any price rise is going to be largely short term, largely sentiment driven. But, you know, history argues it's unlikely to be a lasting jump. I just want to touch a little bit more on that spillover effect. Now, Iran has obviously been a big source of extra crude this year amongst tighter markets. If reports that Iran was involved in planning the attacks against Israel are indeed proved, what could the potential impact be of American sanctions, perhaps, on Iran on global markets? Well, I think that's a great example of where, you know, a conflict can you know, become broader and start to impact uh, mm. different supplies. But I think this is where, you know, I mean, the various players do face a pretty difficult choice because you're right. I think, you know, any reduction in supply at this point in time would come when prices are already elevated. U.S. strategic reserves are already on the lower side. And of course, the question marks over, you know, just how much for longer, you know, U.S. economic growth lasts. So 
theoretically, yes, I mean, that would be the main risk I watch in terms of how this conflict develops and whether there are any implications in Iranian supply. Mm. Uh, that would represent a risk to supply that may push prices higher. But again, I think when you think about the incentives of different players, uh, you know, if that's something that really pushes through, it's something we'll have to really you know, wait and see. There are many, many different factors, including what the demand side starts to look like. Mm. Um, so not really something we think about in our base case. For now, we're looking at a more limited rise in energy prices. Sure. OPEC yesterday actually came out with its world oil outlook for 2023 and raised its medium and long-term forecast for global oil demand. It said the crude sector would require something in the realm of $14 trillion in investment to meet this upswing. Some banks have also scaled back their demand forecast. This is in contrast to the International Energy Agency. Now, the two have been at loggerheads over this specific issue. Why is there a war of words between the two? Well, I think assessing demand is, is, is in our view, actually the, the most important thing, but that's, that's the hardest thing to get right yeah. at this point in time. I, I think there are two big engines of that of the demand growth. I think one is the U.S. Mm. Um, and your view on, on whether the U.S. faces recession risk. I think recently the economy has been more resilient than, than many of us expected, but in our view, the recession risk hasn't really gotten off the table. So that we think is downside risk. I think Chinese energy's demand is actually quite interesting because despite all the debate we're having over the strength of, uh, of Chinese economic growth, energy demand in China from an import perspective has actually been quite strong. Mm. But that's where you can see there's quite a bit of room for debate because if you look at the economic data, demand shouldn't be this strong, but recent data shows that it has. Mm. So I, I think that's where the debate comes from. In our view, the risk is still to the downside because I think from China, uh, we're not sure whether that, that unusually strong data, demand data or import data is sustainable. And in the U.S., we believe growth has to eventually slow, given you know, how much interest rates have risen, given where bond yields are. Uh, so if anything, we'd be biased to the downside, but you can see where those upward revisions, at least in the near term, are coming from. Yeah, you just touched on bond yields there. Now, Eurozone government bond yields have fallen as the conflict has sent investors towards safe haven assets. As we well know, the U.S. dollar is often seen as a haven in times of trouble. It has advanced as well in the aftermath of what's been happening in the Middle East. Can we expect, Manpreet, the dollar's value to go up even further? Well, I think the dollar's fortune is pretty closely tied to what bond yields do in the U.S. Mm. and Europe to some extent in the short term. So, uh, you know, if, if you sort of look at the strong upward momentum in bond yields, at least in the very short term, you know, that, of course, can put a floor under the U.S. dollar. But, you know, when you sort of take, your, take yourself out of that very short term horizon, we are of the view that the dollar has room to, to weaken moderately. But that comes from a view that, you know, the surge in bond yields in the U.S., is likely to reverse, at least over a longer six to 12 month horizon. Mm. Um, and what's driving that is that, you know, when you look at what sort of pushing yields to where they are, it's expectations that, you know, Fed rates are likely to stay where they are for a long period of time, potentially rise a little bit further. But in our view, we start to see cracks develop in, in economic growth and indeed in the labor market. You know, we do think those bond yields have room to move a lot lower over a 12 month horizon, and we think that'll take the dollar lower with it. And it's hard to ignore the fact that today, as an investor, getting some of the most attractive yield levels in a very, very long period of time. Mm. And we think that'll eventually, you know, give a big give bo- a big boost to demand for bonds. Sure. Investors are also closely tracking a rather major event that's happening in Morocco this week. That's the IMF World Bank annual gathering. We expect central bankers, finance ministers to be included among those in attendance. What are some of the big topics of discussion we can expect on global economic outlook, growth, financial stability and the like? Well, many topics. And I think two are one that particularly sort of pull out. I think one is, 
you can't escape the debate on where, you know, whether a central bank has sort of done with the rate hiking cycle uh, or might have further to go. And I think that's still going to be a big area of debate. The U.S., of course, being perhaps one of the most important ones. We're of the view that the Fed's likely to be an extended pause, but it's likely to cut early next year as sort of economic growth slows. But it's interesting you're starting to see other central banks, and I particularly look to Australia and New Zealand, have already signaled some degree of pause. So that's very much a live debate, uh, but I think that's still going to be a big area of focus. And we really look for whether signs that, you know, indeed it's more pause and cut um, rather than more rises. I think the second point you brought up on financial stability is quite important. And particularly mm. when you think emerging markets, look, when bond yields are this high in the US and Europe and the dollar is this strong, one always has to worry about some sort of you know financial accident, and we have seen you know some pressure over the past sort of eighteen to twenty four months on emerging market emerging market bonds. So that's been an area of active debate. And again, we think at some point that might start to look looking quite interesting as an asset class, but it's inevitable that's going to be you know quite a big area of debate. For us, it all rolls back to the U.S. bond yield, which we think you know today comes out as the single most attractive asset class to hold even as this debate rages on. All right. That event, of course, takes place throughout this week until Sunday. Well, Manpreet, thank you so much for joining us so early in the morning. Not at all. Pleasure for, for being pleasure to be here. Absolute pleasure to have you on. We've been speaking with Manpreet Gill, who's the Chief Investment Officer for Africa, Middle East and Europe at Standard Chartered. Stay with Money FM 89.3. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at audio.sg or download the audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O, audio at the App Store and Google Play.